Welcome to Ride Around the Road, the creative podcast that helps you get those pesky voices out of your head and onto the page. And remember, it's the journey that matters. Welcome to episode 115 of Writer on the Road. This week we have David Gothram with us. Now I know Dave because of his wonderful historical fiction, um, Mercenary was the name of the novel that I read, but a lot of you may know him from his series of books, Let's Get Digital and Let's Get Visible. Uh, this week he's launching his book, Strangers to Superfans, and it's another book for the, the Keeper Shelves, everybody. I thoroughly recommend it and I learned so much but I'll let you listen to that one in the podcast today as David, as always, shares his knowledge with the rest of us. Um, He's certainly one who goes into bat for indie authors on all occasions and we're glad to have him on our side. Here at Writer on the Road, where we're ramping up to launch our second series of Voices in Your Head story writing program. Now, we've developed uh, three courses at the princely sum of $135 a course, and it's to get you started, get you writing, and get you published. Now, I broke these down into three. Uh, mini six-week courses so that things don't become overwhelming. I don't know how many courses I've bought, but they're so big and humongous that I get lost in the I get lost in the storyline and never finish any of them anyway. Hopefully with these little bite-sized six-week courses, we can get you up and running, we can get you started and we can, can get you writing. You can find those over at um, writerontheroad.com. Just before we start, uh, as you know, I'm working my way through Paul Brodie's Uh, book publishing for authors implementation program and this week we're up to getting reviews or how to get reviews last week uh, we learned all about how to upload our our books to amazon Uh, next week we're starting on marketing but for today it's all about how to get reviews and it's not as easy as you think everybody and i can see why i've never bothered before Uh, paul takes us through i think a system and a strategy to, to get things right and he has a, I guess, a three-message sequence that we send out to our potential reviewers and he talks to us about the importance of having a strategy with everything we do and I know that and I'm learning that. Now all I've got to do is implement it. Uh, so he talks about um, being persistent, um, how to use advanced review copies and how to reach out to as many people as we can to get our reviews. If you're at all interested in uh, getting your book published and you need some help along the way and you want to have a bestseller on your hands, Paul has a wonderful system uh, that'll that'll ensure that exactly that happens. Uh, you can find him over at uh, Paul Brody. Uh, I've got that wrong. It's Brody Education, brodyedu.com. Okay, sit back, have a listen to uh, the beautiful Dave Goffram as he talks to us all about Strangers to Superfans. And welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Today we're travelling to my favourite country in the world. We're off to Ireland, Dublin, and I'd like to welcome David Goffram. Uh, good afternoon, David. Hello, Melinda. Hello, everyone. Yeah, so we're going to fall in love with the Irish accent, everybody. Um, but I've got to confess right at the outset that I have been following this guy for many, many years. He wrote a wonderful historical novel called Mercenary, uh, and he's got some other uh, historical fiction that he'll tell us about shortly, I'm sure. Uh, but he's also, I guess, infamous for the let's get digital books and let's get visible books. 
and I've bought versions one, two, and three of Let's Get uh, Let's Get Digital, and now he's released a new one that I just couldn't resist jumping on as soon as I saw it in David's newsletter, and it's called Strangers to Superfans: A Marketing Guide to the Reader's Journey. Now we all know about the writer's journey, and today we're going to learn all about the reader's journey. Uh, so, David, over to you. What gave you the idea for this? Well, it was about a year ago when uh, I started finally thinking about doing updates to Let's Get Digital and Let's Get Visible because they've been they've been out for a few years and and so much has changed in the last in the last few years, especially in terms of of marketing. It's it's getting a lot more complicated now to to reach readers, um, but the tools we have to reach them are also a lot more uh, sophisticated. So that's a lot of new stuff that writers have to learn um, if they want to sell books and. M- to be quite honest, my own knowledge levels had slipped a little bit. I, I'd figured out a reasonably good system for, for reaching readers and, and building audience, and I got a little bit lazy. And um, I didn't keep up with like all the latest trends and what people were doing with mailing lists and Facebook ads and, and all this kind of stuff. And I decided then, okay, I've, I've, got to, I've got to stop being lazy and I've got to catch up on some of this stuff. So I started looking at what other writers were doing, but also started looking outside the world of writing because publishing has never really been at the, the bleeding edge of, of marketing or technology. Um, and I went to a couple of general marketing conferences outside of the world of books, and that was a real eye-opener, seeing what um, big digital marketing agencies were doing with things like Facebook ads. And I took a couple of courses, not just in stuff related to books, again, general marketing stuff to see what was going on because I actually came from the world of marketing, but I hadn't worked in it um, in a professional sense for over 10 years. So I really missed a lot of stuff that was that was happening in, in the wider marketing world. And one big thing I noticed straight away was there was essentially a new, a new paradigm out there that had completely passed us by in the world of books, which was um, the idea of the buyer's journey, they call it. And Basically, this is uh, what I like to call a POV shift, which should be familiar to writers, where instead of looking at things, because we're always looking at things from the perspective of our books and our sales, and and all businesses and companies fall into that trap, where they're thinking about their products and their quarterly results and their shareholders, and they don't think so much about their customers. Well, they, they think about selling things to them, but they don't think about what it's like to be a customer uh, and to be a potential customer looking at all these marketing messages that you're putting out. So the idea of the buyer's journey is to, to literally put yourself in the shoes of your customer and to imagine what it's like to be them receiving one of your marketing emails or seeing one of your ads and seeing how they react. And they, it, it tracks the various stages that a potential customer goes through on the way from first being completely unaware of your products to eventually, hopefully, becoming the kind of customer who will go out there and do the selling for you. And I could see straight away that this was easily translatable into the world of books because we're always thinking of things like our ideal reader, which is a a phrase that Stephen King famously coined. And he was talking about his wife, uh, Tabitha, who uh, who is his idealized reader, the person that he is writing for. Uh, And some writers write for themselves. They're their own ideal reader. Um, others don't, uh, and but they have a very clear idea of it. It might be uh, a soccer mom with two kids who still, you know, works from home a couple of days a week, or it could be, you know, um, a, an academic who's interested in history. Like writers generally have a, a fairly good sense of who their ideal reader is, but we think about them maybe when we're plotting and when we're writing and when we're editing, but we don't think about them so much when we're marketing. We don't think about how they might feel uh, when they see our blurb or a book cover and. The whole idea of this process is to look at the stages 
that your ideal reader will go through from being first unaware of your work to when they've read the end and they turn the page and they see what words are written next and, and what effect they have on your reader. And, and putting yourself in their shoes and, and just basically renovating your entire marketing approach based on, on how they might react to, to those messages. Yeah. Was that a long yeah. enough was that a long enough answer for you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've I've read the book everybody. I downloaded it yesterday and I've spent the last 24 hours reading it, taking notes to the point where I'm actually saturated. There is so much in this thing and I've got so many notes from it. But I did go to the back of the book, David, and I did check uh, that you were practicing what you preached and at the back of the book, I found what else I could do. I found a picture of your next book. You gave me, um, I guess, the journey that I need to take now. Trouble is, I'm already on your email list and I've already got your books. You're going to have to get back to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, people are cracking the whip already, which is, which is, which is great. But like that, that moment when, um, when a reader reaches the end and turns the page, like I like to call that peak reader love moment because a reader will never be, have a more positive opinion of you than they do at that exact moment. Presuming you've done your job with the book and you know the story was satisfying and you didn't mess up the ending or anything like that. Um, and that's like, we often think our work is done when we sell a book to somebody or even when they read the book and enjoy it, we think that then or definitely our work is done and it's not. And this is something that businesses in the wider world have been focusing on a lot recently is post-sale kind of customer care and really realizing that it's the beginning of a relationship when you get their money and not the end of one, or it should be if you want to build a sustainable business. And that's something we really have to do as writers. Like we, we can't just take our readers money and run. Like we really need loyal readers. We need people to sign up for our mailing list. We need them to buy the second book in the series. Our whole business is based on that kind of return business. Um, so yeah, I think it's important to start to think like, how am I taking care of my readers? And this wasn't something I was always good at. Uh, it's only this year that I think that I've started treating people on my mailing list well. I used to treat them very, very badly. Um, I had all sorts of incorrect assumptions about my readers and about what they wanted to hear from me and how often they wanted to be contacted. For example, I, I thought I was doing them a favor by only sending them an email when I had a new book out. I was thinking they're probably busy people. They probably have an inbox you know, overflowing with all sorts of garbage and, and they don't want to be getting an email from me all the time. And I thought, I, I genuinely thought I, I, was, I, I was doing them a favor. But that's not, how, that's not how it works. And I could see gradually over, like I've been self-publishing for seven years now and I could see year by year, less people were opening my emails, less people were clicking on them, less people were responding to, to the messages. And it's only when I, when I took a course on, on how to treat your email subscribers better last December that I realized that I, I was doing everything wrong. Um, I wasn't looking at it from their perspective properly, where the only time they heard from me was when I wanted something. You know, like even announcing a new book, that's, that's asking for something. You're asking for, for $5 or whatever it is from them. And they don't hear from you in between. And while you might think you're doing them a favor by not, by not hassling them all the time, actually, you're just knocking on the door when you want something from them and you, when you want money from them. And, you know, that's, that's never a good basis for any kind of relationship. So, like, I, I started experimenting with a new approach in January where I would email my readers every week. And the response since then, and I was still a little bit skeptical about it because, you know, you don't really... Even if you get sold on the theory of something, until you actually see it in practice, it's, it's hard to fully buy into it. 
Um, but I started emailing my my nonfiction list. I wouldn't do this do it this regularly for fiction, but but for nonfiction, it seemed appropriate to email them every week. And every Friday, I send out a bunch of tips and tricks, usually focused on marketing and uh, how to find readers. And sometimes it's kind of like a blog post. Sometimes it's a book recommendation. Sometimes it's just a few short tips, depending on what's going on that week. And it's it's rarely about me and my books. Um, most of the time, it's just about giving them something and not asking for anything in return. And people have been really, really responding to that. The open rates on my emails have been shooting up, the click rates. And, well, I'll find out later today if, if the, it means they'll actually buy in greater numbers. But I launched a book back in January, and that did really, really well with my mailing list. Um, so I'm presuming this one will have the same effect later today. Um, and it makes sense because, you know, if, if you have a kind of relationship with somebody where they're being selfless and they're, they're, and they're genuinely giving you things and giving you information that's useful for you or that each email actually has some value in it instead of, instead of just saying, oh, here's a 99 cent sale on a book you own already, you know, and, and the reader might be like, oh, thanks a lot. I bought it last week for 4.99, you know, you know, that's not necessarily creating a good vibe in the relationship. Um, but if you're giving them stuff all the time, you're genuinely helping them or genuinely entertaining them or genuinely giving them stuff that's interesting, then when you want something, you're going to get a better response. That's, that's natural human reaction. And yeah. it's been working really, really well so far. Yeah. Now, everybody, I heard about, um, I guess, uh, strangers to superfans through opening your emails. I, I've actually always opened your emails. There's only a couple of people I do that for, but you're always so entertaining and you've always, everybody, if you haven't heard of Dave's, uh, I guess his championing of indie authors, uh, then you're missing out on a real treat because he goes into fight for all of us when it comes to Amazon algorithms and understanding all of this stuff. And I think the expression is, uh, excuse me, everybody, but it's keeping the bastards honest um, because uh, you understand all this stuff so very, very well and you share your knowledges very openly and you go in and bat for the fair fight. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. Um, there's so much in what Dave's just spoken to us about, everyone. He actually did uh, Tammy Lebrick. How do you pronounce her surname? Uh, Tammy Lebrick. Tammy Lebrick's uh, email mailing list expert course. Now, there is another one coming up, everybody, but unfortunately it's full as well. Uh, so I went to check it out tonight and there's a little cheeky note from Dave saying, uh, you've missed out, you're too late. Uh, but I've heard a lot about Tammy's work and if you do get a chance to do her email course, because as we all know as indie authors, our email list is our lifeblood nowadays, especially now that Facebook, um, in Dave's words, gone a bit wonky, I think is, is how you put it. Uh, I'd like to unpack a little bit. You talk about your email list um, being critical, but you also, you work the system when it comes to launching on Amazon and using, I guess, um, what is it? Is it KD, KEP or KDU, whatever whatever the letter is on Amazon there, where you go, um, whether you go wide or whether you stick with Amazon. Uh, you you really unpack that in your books, don't you? Yeah, well, ju just to quickly say, that, that email course, I think, op opens again in August. And I think you can sign up now or sign up to the email list. But she actually has a book coming out. Um, I, I don't know when it's being released, in sometime in the next couple of months. It's on pre-order anyway. Um, which I recommend checking out because she's really smart and knows her stuff. And I, I haven't seen anyone approach the whole email thing like she does. She really kind of rewired my brain on it. Um, 
but yeah, no, like email is just one part of the puzzle, probably the most important part, but there, there's a lot of moving parts to the marketing machine and an author has to put together in, in 2018. And one thing I think is critical as well is understanding how Amazon works. Um, it, it doesn't matter if you're exclusive to Amazon or whether you're what we call wide, where, where you upload your book to all the retailers. Um, you still need to know how Amazon works and it still has to be the main focus of your marketing because um, it's where most of the readers are. They have the biggest chunk of the market. I, I don't know how much of the market they have in Australia, but in America, it's about 75% of the ebook market. In the UK, it's about 90%. And then even in markets like France and Germany and Spain, where there's local retailers providing some competition, they still have over half the market. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's similar in Australia. So Amazon is really where you need to focus most of your efforts, if not all of them. Um, and also for another reason, um, Amazon is unique among the retailers in that it's largely driven by algorithms. If you go, go on to iBooks or Kobo, and if you go to like the front table of the store, the homepage, and you see which books are being promoted, usually it's the same group of names that you've seen in airport bookstores since the 90s, like Nora Roberts and James Patterson and John Grisham. Um, those books are handpicked just like they are in the stores for those front tables. I think a lot of new writers and readers don't realize that uh, when they walk into a chain bookstore, especially that the front table of managers' picks isn't actually the managers' picks. That's that those spots are bought and sold. That's real estate, and it's the same online too. Um, it's called co-op, and and Amazon is hated by publishers for not playing that game and allowing anybody, including authors like me, working from their kitchen, to appear on their front table. So. If you know how the system works, you can give yourself an advantage. Um, for example, I launched a book yesterday and I haven't hit my mailing list yet. Um, traditionally, people might on launch day throw everything at it at once. They would take out ads, they would start making noise on Facebook, they would email their entire mailing list, uh, they would do blog posts, guest posts, and have it all rolled out on the same day. But what happens is you get a huge spike and you go high up in the charts and then you come down just as fast. And the system is designed to push you down quickly if you, if you rise quickly. Um, but if you build up in a slower sense, and what I found to be ideal is, is a four or five day promotional push, um, that will look much more organic to Amazon's algorithms and they are more likely um, to step in and start recommending your book to, to other readers. And once we realized this, we started digging into it further. And there, there's all sorts of aspects to how the recommendation engine, I call it, and to how it works. And if you know how it works, you can, you can position your books to take advantage of it. Um, so when I'm running a sale or a backlist promotion or launching a book, I make sure not to hit all my promotion in one day. This is why, like, you know, I've released a book yesterday and I haven't really started telling people about it yet. Because I knew the news would leak out among people who were really watching and waiting for it and, and the people who would get an automatic email from Amazon that their pre-order had arrived. And I knew they would start talking about it on social media. So I just let them do that. And then today I'll start hitting my list. But I won't hit all of it. I'll hit one third of my list today, a third tomorrow and a third the next day. And then I won't blog about it until Sunday, which, is, which sounds a bit crazy because that's day five after I've launched the book. Why, what am I waiting for? But it's because I want to spread out my juice as much as possible. Not as much as possible, sorry. Over, over about five days appears to be optimal. And 
if I do that, there's a good chance that Amazon will step in and start selling the book for me. And, you know, like anything, it's not foolproof, but I've done enough promotions now where um, I've seen where if you can get five days of solid and consistent sales, that Amazon can take, can take over and start selling your book at that level for another month, six weeks, sometimes longer. And it's really amazing when, when, when you pull it off perfectly and it works. But even if you don't pull it off perfectly, Amazon system will step in and start recommending your book to readers who might like it. Um, as long as you, you can kind of prime the pump a little bit and, and get sales going. But there, there, there's so many interesting aspects to this. Like, and the more, it's like the more you learn, the more you realize that you know, there's, there's, there's still more to learn again. Like, I'm sure you've noticed on any book on Amazon, there's a strip of titles underneath your cover where it says, customers who bought this also bought. Or we call them also bought. And what, one thing we found is that they are very central to the entire system. So if you have strange books and you're also bought, that's a sign that there's something kind of off, that Amazon's system hasn't got a good read on what kind of book it is. And when you get a sales spike, then it'll start recommending it to the wrong readers. So it's very important to make sure that at the start, when you first launch a book, that you're only targeting your exact target market, that you're not pushing out your marketing messages to to people who wouldn't routinely be interested in your genre. So like, let's say you wrote something like Romantic Suspense and you're releasing a new book. It's a very bad idea for your friends and family to buy the book at that point, uh, which is the complete opposite of what our natural instinct is. We want, we want to get the message out to everybody. We want, you know, if someone at work says, oh, I'll buy your book to support you, you're like, oh, thanks, mate. That's, that, that's really cool. That actually harms you. Because if you get a load of people who aren't natural Romantic Suspense readers buying your book, then Amazon's system won't have an accurate idea of who your, your readers are and it'll start recommending your book to the wrong people. And like I have, I, I discovered this when, when, when I screwed up really badly one time. Um, I was, it was when I was releasing Mercenary, actually. It was my second novel and it was a bit more commercial than my first. And I decided, I was, I was just experimenting with different things. I decided to launch it at 99 cents because at the time, uh, my, my writer books were selling very well and my novels hadn't taken off yet. So I thought, well, I have this big audience of writers and maybe some of them will be interested in a, in a story like this. So I'll launch it at 99 cents and see if any of them are interested in buying it. And a lot of them were. The launch went pretty well. I think I sold like five, 500 copies in a few days. Um, so I was pretty happy with that. And then the also bots appeared underneath and they were all writer books. They were like how to, how, how to market a book by Joanna Penn and, and all these other writer books. And I knew straight away that I was in trouble. <laughs> And straight after the launch, as soon as I stopped pushing the book, sales just died, just died, like, like completely flatlined for six months. Um, I've never seen that before. And it was because this was the time when Amazon system, like I was pulling away my marketing support. Amazon system was supposed to step in and start selling it for me. And then it tried to, and they recommended the book to all the wrong readers because I'd given them a wrong impression of who my reader was. So, this is what learning Amazon system is all about. It's not about finding, you know, hacks or, or loopholes or, or tricks. It's, it's just about understanding how it works so that you don't make mistakes like I did. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's like if you're opening a, if you're opening a shop in an, in a town and you don't know which street to open it on, you might go around with a, with a little clicker and see which street has the most footfall. It's, it's just a little bit of business intelligence. And, you know, if this is the biggest retailer in the world, and if it is going to be 60, 70, 80% of your sales, you really should learn how it works. 
Yeah. Now, everyone, uh, Dave does have a wonderful freebie to give away called Amazon Decoded, uh, which is, I think it's a little 30-page book that he, he knocked up in three weeks, but I know for a fact that you've been learning this stuff for years. Uh, so even though you wrote it in three weeks, there's years of research in it. Uh, and your book that you've just released, it's got a lot on this marketing stuff as well and when you should throw your money advertising dollars out and all that kind of stuff. Guys, I took so many notes out of this and I'd be referring to them for a long, long time to come. This book uh, would have taken a lot of years to, to gain the experience to be able to write this, I'm guessing. Well, yeah, I've been, I, I, I've been thinking about this stuff since I started publishing in 2011 um but I, I i come from something of a marketing background and a tech background so i had a little bit of a head start i i used to work for google adwords so um i had a little bit of a sense of of how things like you know targeting and digital marketing work so it wasn't totally alien to me um when i when i moved into this space but the book world is kind of unique and i think it's interesting when um someone who is a marketing person from another industry comes into the world of books at the start they, they i think they, they they look around like like it's the flintstones all these stone age people with these backwards practices but then when they dive in and try and start selling books themselves they, they quickly realize how challenging it is because the unusual thing about books is that even the biggest selling book of the year will be read by less than one percent of the reading public it's incredibly balkanized like you don't have office cooler books like you do shows or movies because you know the biggest selling movie of the year the biggest grossing movie of the year i don't know just off the top of my head it might it might be watched by 10 or 12 percent of the the viewing public so there's a lot of crossover there and same with tv show like you know there's there's a fairly good chance you know if you're talking to someone in the office that they've watched game of thrones or the wire or you know whichever show is trending at that particular time um, but you don't get that with books and i think that leads people to assume that people don't read and I, I think that's that's a, that's a gross error. Um, there's something like 125 billion dollars of books are sold globally every year. It's the second biggest cultural industry in the world, just behind television. Bigger than movies, bigger than games. Um, but because it's so balkanized, and we all have such granular tastes that are radically different from each other, um, sometimes we don't we don't find that uh, crossover with, with with a fellow reader, and we just and we don't we don't have conversations in public as much as we do about music and tv shows because we know there's a good chance someone's going to have heard that pop song so you you, you have a bit of common ground there but there, there's probably very little chance that you've read that weird sci-fi novel that i have so you know i won't use that as an icebreaker um but yeah like i think we often talk down reading and we often convince ourselves that that people don't read and i think publishers are <sighs> partly guilty of this because i think they like to put on what we call an iron the poor mouth you know, it's like they always, they always, they're always saying at conferences, you know, how tough it is and bookstores are closing and it's impossible to sell books. And they're usually, you know, immaculately tailored while, while, while giving, while giving this story at a conference of how tough things are. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's not true. There's a lot of money out there. There's, there's, and there's, there, there's enough of it um, for some of it to make its way into your pocket once you, once you know how to, uh, how to reach readers. Yeah, and there's a lot of, uh, you, you've changed your tack over the years. You've gone from advocating for indie publishing and self-publishing to 
the scales have tipped and it's now so acceptable to indie publish that you're now teaching people more and more how to market and and how to get or not you can't you can never beat the system everybody you can never beat at amazon but you can carve out a little spot for you and give yourself the best chance of being seen and that's that's what some of this book's about isn't it it's it's teaching us to to optimize our systems and i think you've got a five step process that that I'll, I'll talk to you or you can talk to me about in a minute. Um, but if we, if we give ourselves the best chance and we, and we, you know, get our product out there in the way that we should and we market it in the way that we should, then our customers are there to buy it, aren't they? Yeah, and, like, when you understand how the system works, there are various things you can do to make your work more discoverable. Um, like, if you're smart about the categories that you choose and the keywords that you choose, there's a greater chance of your target readers discovering your book, which is, which is what you ultimately want. And, you know, when you're just starting out, a lot of this stuff can seem pretty complicated, but choosing the right keywords and categories, you know, it takes about an hour of learning on your side and about 10 minutes of actual work. And that's something your book will benefit from forever. And it's something that will passively help readers discover your book forever. So it's worth putting in the effort, um, to learn a little bit about this stuff and just to make small changes to your book, especially when they, when they cost nothing but a little bit of your time. Um, I think beginning writers especially can, can uh, be caught up in various artistic notions of, of what it means to be a writer, which is good. Like, like um, the beret is very firmly on my head when I'm writing, you know, but that comes off when I'm publishing and then the business hat goes on. And I think writers need to, need to be able to do that. Um, like the, the businessman does not intrude um, when, I, when I have a work in progress. Like I, I try and make that the best book I can, the best story I can. I don't, I don't change scenes to make them more commercial. Yeah, sometimes I have one eye in the market when I'm choosing which project I'm going to write next. But that's it, just one eye in the market. I don't, I don't specifically write to market or anything like that. Um, I try and choose the most commercial out of whatever idea interests me the most. But the art is, is still... The most important part in that in that equation but then when the book is done when it's edited and proofs that's a product that's that has to be sold that has to be marketed books don't magically sell themselves like i hate the term sleeper hit uh, which is one we use a lot in publishing like when 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 we have some kind of phenomenon like a girl on a train which you know came out in 2014 and i think it was still in the bestseller list at the end of 2017 and because publishers don't do very little market research and I think they generally throw so much stuff out there and, and see what sticks that they don't know why they have success when they do. But there's usually a reason for it. And we mightn't be able to always reverse engineer it or explain it, but there's usually a reason for it. Um, and I think because there's so many of these so-called sleeper hits that writers fool themselves into thinking that if their book is good enough, it'll get magically discovered by readers. It's never going to happen. There's 7 million books in the Kindle store. There's 15 million print books on Amazon. There's 34 million books in print worldwide. And there's another 100 million titles on top of that that you can buy in secondhand bookstores or borrow from libraries. Your book has no chance of getting discovered unless you do something about it. And there's a lot of things you can do, like which don't necessarily need to cost money. I see, like I saw a post by a writer on a forum the other day, which, which had me very disheartened. And it, it said that, she was offering her services as a ghostwriter for really, really low rates. And she said that she was doing it because she couldn't afford to self-publish. And she didn't have the thousands and thousands of dollars necessary 
to, to kickstart a self-publishing career. Uh, when I started self-publishing, I was unemployed. I was in Sweden. I just moved to Sweden with my partner and I couldn't get a job anywhere. It was the financial crisis that just hit Sweden. Um, I started off looking for something in, in tech and marketing and I couldn't even get a reply. Uh, then I was looking for jobs in, in Irish pubs. I was looking for jobs through shoveling snow. I couldn't get anything. And I only self-published because I had a lot of time on my hands. I was still querying agents. I just started self-publishing some short stories. And you, you can do it on a budget. You can barter for services. You can, you know, you, like anybody can teach themselves how to format an ebook if you're willing to spend a few days bashing your head against the wall. And then not only have you formatted your ebook for free, you can also sell that service to other authors. You know, there, there's a lot of services that, that authors need that you can actually learn how to do quite quickly if you have a lot of time on your hands. Now, and, you know, some people seem to think that they need to start with like, uh, a $5,000 Facebook budget. It's not true. Like, like, obviously, if you have a lot of money to spend on marketing, that's going to make things a little easier for you, but you can bootstrap your way there. There's a lot of people who start out with a pre-made cover, which, which will cost $30, but it'll still be reasonably professional. Um, if you're willing to spend quite a few hours digging through archives, you can pick up a cheap cover that still looks pretty pro. And you can start off with that. And then when you get a few hundred dollars in sales in, maybe you can justify spending it on a custom cover. But, you know, it, it is possible to start on a shoestring and start with a small budget. And there's a lot of marketing things that you can do, like what I was saying about keywords and categories, that you can do that will help you find readers and that don't need to cost any money. Yeah. Now, I think a lot of this stuff is in in your new book because I got quite in-depth into, into Facebook. You mentioned Facebook ads, but there are a lot of things you need to do before you get to Facebook ads, aren't there? And I think that comes under your, um, your metadata, visibility, keywords, and then you start worrying about advertising and algorithms. And you touched on that about how you're managing this launch and you're going to make it last over five days so Amazon can kick in. Uh, that knowledge is there to be found and books like yours are, are there for us to pick up and learn from. One of the key things with uh, indie authors that I've noticed, and especially since I've been podcasting, is if you take the time to learn and continually learn um, because things are changing all the time, aren't they? Yeah, and the pace of change has, has dramatically intensified since 2014, 2015 when Kindle Unlimited came in. That, that has radically changed the landscape. And even if you're not in Kindle Unlimited and you've kept your books on all the other retailers, you're still affected by it. Because, um, yeah, there's been a couple of things which have changed the landscape a lot. Um, basically, like, just to give a very short version of this, the, the, the route to success in Kindle Unlimited is, is by chasing visibility on Amazon. And because they are essentially getting double rewarded for that visibility, that incentivizes anyone who's in Kindle Unlimited to spend a lot on marketing. But that means that all the authors who are, who are wide and not in Kindle Unlimited are getting leapfrogged every hour by these books. Um, so they need to find, they need to add other things to their arsenal to, to, to compete with that. Um, but I'm, when you face a problem like that, I, I don't believe in, in, in kind of throwing your hands up in the air and, and, and thinking there's nothing you can do about it. There's, there's always another solution to the problem. There's always another pocket of readers that can be discovered elsewhere. Um, but the danger, I think, and this was actually the, the whole reason I wrote my new book, Strangers to Superfans, the, the danger for authors is anytime they have a problem with a book that's not shifting, 
maybe it's a, a book two in a series or maybe it's a new series which never took off or a standalone or whatever. We we're, we're always want to spend money on it. We always want to throw traffic on it. We always think like, okay, it, it's, it, it, just needs, it just needs a bit more, a bit more juice and it'll, it'll get going. But often there's a more fundamental problem with the book. Um, it, could be the, it could be that the cover isn't quite right for the niche or it's attracting the wrong readers, which are then having a knock-on effect on your also bots. And then Amazon's recommending your book to the wrong readers. It could be the blurb is turning people off. Maybe it's not written in the voice of your, your novel. So the blurb is attracting one kind of reader. And then when they open the book, the voice is different and there's a mismatch there. Uh, it could be the prices off for your genre. It could be your keywords and categories, meaning that you're visible to the wrong readers and not to your target readers. It could be a problem inside the book. You know, your, your love interest mightn't be likable enough or your ending might be turning off readers. Um, or it could be a problem with, with, with how you're treating your email subscribers so that, you know, each launch is getting smaller and smaller when it should be getting bigger and bigger. Um, and the problem is if you've got to fail somewhere else along the line and you just start pumping more traffic, which is a euphemism for, for spending more money, uh, if you just start spending more money on, on a broken system, so much of that is going to go to waste and you won't get the return and the margins are tight enough these days on things like facebook ads and book book ads that you if you've got a broken system you're going to end up losing money and if you're if you're spending money on ads and you're not making that money back then not only are you not getting paid for your book you're actually losing money on it so that's a bad situation to get in so before it's always tempting to to roll out some more traffic or roll out some more ads or throw some money at a problem. But um, before you do that, you need, you need to have everything in shape first to make sure that you're getting the maximum return on, on anything you do spend. Yeah. Now this is, this is really the, I guess the guts of, of your book, isn't it? It's those five, those five steps that you outlined, your product presentation, metadata, traffic, and I haven't written down the fifth one, uh, but, but that's there in the book, everybody go and buy it. Um, in the next five days, that would be really great. Uh, but it's never too late to go back and fix everything up before and that's the I think that's one of the main things I took away from reading your book is go back to the beginning or actually start at the backwards start at the end and work your way forwards I think you said don't you and pick out the points of failure and and fix it all up you have worked through this um yourself with your own books haven't you yeah yeah it's 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 important to solve in reverse because um if you think about it, right? If you if you just if you first solve the discovery issue and start getting discovered by lots and lots of readers, you're just it's like when you're trying to put lino down in a kitchen. You're just moving that bubble from one place to another. You've got to you've got to first make sure that you've got to first look at what's ultimately going to happen with these readers when you capture them, which is basically like the aftercare, if you like, the end matter of your book, and then where you're pushing them towards, which is usually your email list or your Facebook presence or or, what, or your website, or, or whatever else. But your email list is the big one, obviously. Um, and there's there, there, there's one thing I said in the book where, uh, and it, it gets kind of depressing when you look into the numbers, because not only do I think we focus too much on the discovery problem, I actually think that's the easiest one to solve. And I think the, the conversion challenge gets greater at each stage. Um, to give a statistic which always frightens writers, uh, Kobo released some info um, a while back which said that 
And I think, you know, we, we, spend, we spend so much time and money and effort getting people to read our books that we don't realize that most, more than half of readers don't finish our books. And that's all books. It's not just, not just the bad ones. You know, uh, I think um, they released some data on The Goldfinch by, by Donna Tartt, which, which won all sorts of awards. And I think that had a read-through rate of 43% or something like that. It's it, less than half, you know, and that's actually considered good. Um, so if your book is badly written, it's probably going to have a read-through rate of about 20% or less, I don't know. Um, so even a very good book, one that is loved by readers, will be less than half of them will finish it. And that's quite a sobering thought, um, considering, you know, when you're, you're looking at a Facebook ad and you think like a click-through rate of 3 or 4% is good, and then, you know, if that person gets to your Amazon page, maybe only a quarter of them will actually hit the buy button. And then out of all the ones that buy it, a lot of them will leave it sit on their Kindle for months. And even out of the ones that read it straight away, less than half of them will finish it. So out of all those thousands of people you were targeting at the start, there's very few left at the end, which means you've got to look after them really, really well because you can't afford to lose any more. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's crucially important what, what, what you do with readers after you capture them. Um, something I only, only started realizing in the last six months. Yeah. And... Yeah, that's why you need that's why you need to solve in reverse. You need you need to fix your email system first, and then you need to make sure that your your book, the product itself, is, is in good shape. And then you need to make sure that your metadata and all the stuff that causes you to be visible on Amazon, and that your product page is in good shape. I think like I might have mentioned it in the book that just after I launched like Let's Get Digital, I had a look at my Amazon product page on Amazon.com where most of the ads are. And there was 248 other books being advertised on my page at that time between all the sponsored results and uh, also bought and also viewed and the other little boxes selling jackets and, and whatever else Amazon decides to flog on my page. It, 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 there's more stuff there every day. But that's like 248 books. And that's not even counting the other stuff. And not even counting the hundreds of other ways that people can click away out of that page to go to the charts or, or whatever else on Amazon. That's a lot of distractions, um, which means, uh, you know, if, if you if you do anything on the page to cause readers to pause, if your price is a little bit too high, if you've got a lot of bad reviews, if your blurb has a typo in it or or just is a little bit clunky, um, anything that causes a reader to pause, there's a good chance you're going to lose them because there's so many other flashy things trying to distract them um, that you can't afford a pause. So. These all might sound like either basic or incremental changes, but they are crucially important. And when you optimize at each stage, when you make sure that your product page is perfect and your categories are as good as they possibly can be, that you're really maximizing all the opportunities that you have with regard to keywords, when you string all this together, it really does make a profound difference. Yeah, and I think this is what struck me as I, as I was reading over the last 24 hours until I forgot even what my KDPs and my KUs stood for. Uh, but I've got it sorted out, everybody. I know it's um, Kindle Unlimited now and their page reads and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yes, I remember. Uh, but 
if you if you think about it logically, what you're writing makes perfect sense. And I, I think it does all of us um, as writers to go through your book and it can act like a checklist. Have we done this? Have we forgotten to do this? And I, I'm guessing that's going to be the biggest value in your book for a lot of us, plus all the stuff that we didn't know that you've dug very deeply into for us. Um, you call it the super fan factory. Yeah, yeah. Like I, 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 I know. It's just, it was one of the last things I wrote in the book. It was just that, just that line just came out of nowhere and I was like, okay, perfect. I'm done here, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, so, yeah, it's it, like ultimately that's what we all want, you know. It, it's, it's like that famous blog post from 10 years ago about having a 1,000 true fans. And, you know, what I think people get fixated on the number. Um, I think writers actually need more than that because we're selling things which are far cheaper than, than most other creative types. And we, we only have one income stream really, which is books. We're not like um, a band which can sell merchandise and, and do live gigs and stuff. Although if 20,000 people wanted to turn up and see me read, I'd probably go for that. But uh, can you imagine like, uh, no, that's never going to happen. Even for, even for JK Rowling. So yeah, it's, it's just our books and, and our self publishers and, and because we're, predominantly focused on ebooks we're generally selling books which are quite cheap like i sell mine for for 4.99 as the regular retail price and i'm often running sales at much cheaper than that again um so yeah we need we need more than a thousand fans so um but yeah no that focus that focus on trying to because i think you know our artistic inclination as i said before is to, to try and get our stories as widely read as possible we want everyone to read them but if we're, if we're trying to build a business, um, we're much, see, there's a danger then if you're trying to appeal, if you're trying to be all things to all people, there's a danger that you're going to turn off the, the, the super fans in your niche who, 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 who want things a certain way. Like, you know, if you're, if, you're trying to, if you're trying to write a romance which has broad appeal to people in other genres, you, you might leave out some of the classic tropes, you know, and then real romance readers won't, won't enjoy your book. And, I think people, and again, this is another trap that beginning writers tend to fall into. They look at these breakout hits like Girl on a Train and they think like, oh, how can I write a breakout hit? And they try and weave in, you know, elements of science fiction and time travel and romance and thrillers all into the one book. It's, it's a pretty, pretty common newbie error. Um, but that's a mistake because every breakout hit first dominates its own niche. And it does that by either hitting the tropes perfectly or, or subverting them deliciously. Um, you, you, you can't write the perfect thrilling sci-fi action adventure romance right from the get-go, and you won't do it with your first novel anyway. But yeah, you should, you should think about your, your ideal reader. You should think about what they like, and you, you should try and give it to them, and give it to them regularly, and give it to them at a price that won't make them think twice. Uh, present it professionally. Present it like other books in the genre you know i think again our artistic selves can lead us astray and not want to follow conventions and things like cover design um and we we think of the cover as an extension of us as an artist it's not it's packaging for a product it's packaging which should tell readers in two seconds what kind of book it is um and we forget that the place to dazzle people with creativity is with our words on the inside not with the not with the packaging now I read that a lot of what David's saying now everybody is in the book because I read that last night about you know 
that that, that um, cover has a purpose. Um, but another thing, and I'm going to let going to let you go, Dave, because it is getting fairly late for you. And I, I just dread to think how many more times in the next week or two you're going to have to repeat this whole story. Uh, but I was studying. I've got Bella Andre coming on to the podcast in the next few weeks, and she. I've been studying her list. And it's exactly as you said. She knows exactly who a reader is. She's got all her series in place. Um, there's um, sub-series. They, they tend to write um, little breakaway series of, of the maiden series and then they develop sub-characters and they have their other series because that's what their readers want. Uh, and these guys are selling millions and millions of books. Uh, so, so they're doing something right. Now, I wanted to finish. Um, I'm... My favourite phrase from the whole night has been subverts deliciously. If there are two words that sum you up in a nutshell and everything I've known about you over all the years that I've been following you, I think you subvert um, deliciously with everything you do, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) It's gorgeous. And I'm going to finish. I promise I will finish. Please, everybody, have a look at the book. I think I've embarrassed him now. He's gone red. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. (laughs) The the shy Irish man. I love it. And you have talked nonstop for nearly an hour. And, and look, I appreciate it. And and I'm sure all our our listeners will appreciate it as well. Uh, Now, remember... I should should just tell people that um, if they want the book on, on Amazon algorithms and how the Kindle store works and how to tweak their marketing and launches... That one's called Amazon Decoded, and you can't actually buy it in stores anywhere. You can only get it by, by signing up to my mailing list at, at davidlockman.com. Um, you can sign up and grab the free book, and you can unsubscribe afterwards if you like. I don't mind at all, but it's the only place you can get that book. Um, and then the other two are Let's Get Digital, which is the one for which teaches you how to self-publish and how to find your first readers. And then the new one is, is Strangers Soup Fans that we've been mostly talking about today. Yeah, and I'll I'll reference all that in the uh, show notes, everybody. And don't forget, uh, this guy is a fantastic uh, historical fiction writer and he writes about big characters uh, and Lee Christmas is certainly a big character and I love the description, a hard-headed drifter who changed the fate of a nation. Uh, So that that gives you just a little hint of his fiction as well. Uh, Not to be missed, uh, Dave's Irish and has the gift of the Irish when it comes to writing because, um, as we all know, our best writers are all all, all Irish. Uh, thank you, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it, and uh, I hope that you your book does every bit as well as as you deserve. And you've worked very hard to get it that way. Thank you very much. We'll we'll find out later today exactly how well it does. <laughs> I'm going to bed now, everybody. It's ten o'clock at night here. Okay, and that's bye from Dave and bye from me at Writer on the Road. 